This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 15, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Social Security's anticipated finances depend on models, and the models produced by the Congressional Budget Office and the Social Security Administration leave out many important factors. When those demographic trends are considered, Social Security's liabilities explode. That according to Jagadish Gokhale, Cato Institute Senior Fellow and author of the new book, Social Security, A Fresh Look at Policy Alternatives. What are some of the pitfalls in trying to estimate the future finances for Social Security? There are actually many pitfalls, and some of those pitfalls are actually not appreciated by a lot of people. Uh, the key pitfall, I think, is that you have a very coarse methodology that doesn't take into account all of the economic and demographic factors that are relevant to answering the question about how uh, Social Security's finances are or what the status of the system is, the financial status of the system going forward. The two main groups that produce the what are used by the government are CBO and the Social Security Administration? That's correct. And the numbers that are used by Congress predominantly, I assume, come from CBO. What do their methods leave out that we ought to be including? Well, actually, the main agency that Congress looks to for most budgetary projections, especially over the next 10 years, is the Congressional Budget Office. But in evaluating Social Security's financial condition, Congress, knowing that it's an intergenerational program, requires that projections be made over a much longer horizon. And so it uh, has given the responsibility of making those long-term horizon, long horizon projections to the Social Security Administration, which is the key agency that reports on the system's financial condition over the long term. I think their standard projection horizon is 75 years, but they also report on shorter horizons like 25 and 50 years and also over the immediate future. Okay, so for over a 75-year period, uh, a demographic change that might not seem so important over a 10-year period can be fairly significant. That's correct. What is it that they... uh, don't calculate that you calculate in your book? Well, my book's focus is to do a better job in taking account of the various demographic and economic uh, features of our economy that will interact and play out over the coming uh, decades. And key among those, those features is changing worker attributes because of things like uh, changing fertility rates among different population groups. Actually, not so much changing fertility rates as different fertility rates among different population groups. It's easy to imagine that if certain population groups have higher fertility than others, their behaviors and their outcomes uh, economically will dominate over time. Similarly, groups which have lower mortality rates, their behaviors and outcomes would dominate over time. We know that in the U.S. we are undergoing a very significant demographic transition in the sense that a big cohort of baby boomers who currently are in their most productive stage of life, they're between, they're, they're, they're between 45 and 60 or 62 or so. That's when over your life cycle you earn and earn the most and you're most productive. 
so we have this big productive cohort uh, right now, which is working, producing, and therefore national output is high. But as baby boomers approach and enter retirement, they will move out of these productive years and they'll be retired, meaning they'll be less productive. They will be replaced by a, a similarly experienced and productive workers, but they'll be smaller in size because the baby boomers are a big cohort and uh, the generations coming later are smaller in size relatively. So we'll be undergoing this massive transition where uh, we'll have much fewer workers who are productive. We'll have population groups that tend to work part-time rather than full-time, have longer spells of unemployment, uh, uh, are maybe uh, less educated. So even though the overall population's education level is increasing, if the size of less educated or uh, population groups that emphasize acquiring education less become more dominant, then the average rate of uh, uh, increase in our educational attainment will not be as high as we might otherwise expect. So all of these features are going to play out. So the major demographic transition that we are undergoing is not just the baby boomers retiring. It's also things like uh, a changing racial age, uh, education, labor force participation, composition of the population uh, that is... Uh, moving uh, or changing. And all of those factors enter into how productive we'll be in the future. So it's not just labor quantity that matters. It's also labor quality. And that's what my book tracks. So how does the Social Security Administration deal with those uh, cohorts of race, education level, uh, and, uh, and other attributes? Do they make any projections about what that group is going to look like or how dominant that group is going to be 40, 50, 60 years in the future? I don't have full information about how they treat these elements in making projections, but my uh, cursory information about it is that they do, do a very coarse or very elementary or not as detailed of a job in tracking those projections. Uh, I think it's necessary to do a good job and track these uh, worker attributes in detail because, as my book shows, it can make a big difference to how Social Security will do in the future. Using your calculations, how different is the picture and what is the quality of the picture uh, down the road for Social Security's finances? Well, my book suggests that once we take all these factors into account, that is, account not just for the number of workers that will be around in the future, but also their productivity, uh, which I call effective labor inputs, which is the product of both labor quantity and labor quality. Uh, once we take that into account, my projection suggests that the Social Security's program's total shortfall is much bigger. Over 75 years, my estimates are twice as large for the shortfall compared to the official projections. And the total shortfall, that is measuring the shortfall in perpetuity, makes my shortfall about 50% larger than the official shortfall. Uh, and much of the difference arises because of uh, declining labor quality that must also be uh, attached to labor quantity, that the number of workers may be the same as projected by the official agencies, uh, but my uh, 
workers that I project will have attributes that uh, are likely to be associated with less uh, worker productivity in the future. So that means the payroll tax base uh, and benefits that uh, 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 the government is promising based on current laws uh, will be different. But the gap between those two elements is bigger, which means the Social Security's financial imbalance would be bigger. How does this inform the debate over immigration in the United States right now? Well, in general, immigration in the U.S. exerts a relatively minor influence in uh, Social Security's finances because, frankly, compared to our total population, our immigrant annual immigration rates are uh, not very high especially not high compared to other countries, other developed countries as in Europe, for example. Their immigration rates, the ratios of net immigrants into uh, Germany and France are higher compared to their total population. So for the U.S., immigration uh, is not such a big deal. And in, in some sense, uh, to the extent that a lot of immigrants into the U.S. are illegals, they when they get jobs, they actually pay Social Security taxes, but they have no hope of recovering benefits from those taxes. So to some extent, immigrants uh, are helping the system. So, But but I think the, their total effect on the system's finances, if we just uh, projected the system's finances uh, without taking account of any immigration at all, it wouldn't make a huge difference. Cato Institute senior fellow Jagadish Gokhale is author of the new book, Social Security, a fresh look at policy alternatives. You can get your copy at cato.org.